of two eyes, huh? Do you understand the game a bit? Yeah, have a look. I'm not saying anything to you in particular because I know you're not too accurate with your reporting. That, that's what okay, you're paid so you're for. Saying it. I should resign. So you're saying I should resign. I think that's you should, your opinion. Yeah. Is that right? That's my opinion. Okay, fine. Are you going to resign then? No, of course I'm not going to resign. I simplify things next time. <laughs> All right, all right, let's get one thing straight. The National Curriculum is not a youth development podcast, and while it was fun to see the youth get a run last week, while the senior boys were away, we have to keep them hungry. We have to send them down to the twos so they can earn their dues. The uh, the regulars are back. My name is Josh Parrish. I've got Joey Lynch here with me. How are you, Joey? I'm going very well, and I have to agree with you, Josh. It was just a disaster last week. We had to put the young boys into the first, and as a result, we uh, had to cancel the National Curriculum's NPL game just because we called them all up from the first and there was nobody left to play in that NPL TNC game. So equilibrium has been restored. Well, it's just as well we uh, introduced those uh, those rules, making uh, us immune from relegation in the NPL, just as well. Uh, Nick Debano, you were leading the Brat Pack last week. How was that? Yeah, it was good. I mean, it's a nice change of pace. I really enjoyed it. I'm just being uh, brutally honest. It was nice. It was nice to not be interrupted by uh, by the microwave. It was nice to have feel the power, you know, having that much power over proceedings. Um, but no, no, it was good. Uh, it was good. Ben and Lockie were sensational on a serious note. Uh, big thanks for them filling in again on very short notice last Sunday. Otherwise, we might not have had a pod. And people, um, a lot of our listeners and... and uh, you know, co- regular contributors in the comments get a little bit upset if we're five or six minutes late. But uh, if we had no pod, I think that there would be an absolute meltdown. So good that we got something out. Um, but yeah, thanks again to Ben and Lockie. In all seriousness, they were great last week. And um, hopefully we can keep having them on again. Even if, uh, you know, we aren't a youth development podcast, I think it'd be good to keep tapping into some of our um, regular contributors to come up from the NPL and keep us on our toes. Well, uh, lol at regulars uh, says run their memes. That's, yep, good burn. But our persistent lateness is actually a tribute to the years of the Foxtel broadcasting where every match would kick off precisely seven minutes late. Uh, we have to be at least seven minutes late each week. Otherwise, we're not honouring our forebears. Uh, we've got plenty to talk about tonight, including the A-League fixtures finally dropping a couple of big signings. But let's get into Australia Cup first of all. We saw a dramatic three-all draw. Uh, just before we went to where went all the way to penalties and once again Andrew Redmayne pulling off the shootout heroics to see Sydney pass the Central Coast Mariners Joey he's done it again maybe Graham Arnold was onto something after all yes he's uh, he's done it again he's made one save in a victorious <laughs> penalty shootout um, no yes. I, 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 I shit on it a little bit, but at the same time, I acknowledge that penalty shootouts are massive mental games as well, and the fact that two of the other Mariners' misses were just horrible penalties that missed the frame completely, it's a mind games thing. You go up, you face in red main, you know he does his dance, you know his reputation, so I can explain that. Um, no, I, no, I can explain that. That's why how you can explain that. You know, you can't just completely write off the red main factor, even on the missed penalties now, you know, what is it? Once is an accident, two is the beginning of a trend. Um, so congratulations to the Sky Blues who uh, progressed through to the round of 16, killing off Central Coast Mariners have quite enjoyed the Australia Cup as of late, haven't they? They 
went on a deep run um, under Stajic and made it to the final um, last season. And obviously we had our debates about the lack of Cundog in that final. But now we know uh, no runs in this one. So uh, caps off another, well, we've still got round of 32 games to go, but um, adds to what has been an interesting uh, round of 32. I mean, we saw last night as well. Adelaide United knocking out the Jets. The uh, the box office is yet to open, uh, apparently, for this <laughs> season, or our, or at least our um, th- well, our ability to see whether or not there is a box office this season. Um, then again, Adelaide in the cup, one expects them to at least make it out of the round of thirty-two. But no, I mean, but at this stage, we can talk about the A League men's sides all we like. But the big stories, of course are still the uh, the member federation sides, the National Premier League sides in action, and I've been enjoying seeing them going about it and seeing some famous names advancing through to the round of 16. Nick, what's caught your eye from the Australia Cup so far? Well, I actually had a lot of fun on Wednesday. We were all there together at, uh, down at the Olympic Village for Heidelberg versus Brisbane Raw, wasn't I guess for all the Victorians, we're all Victorian on this podcast, the result that we were hoping for to see a bit of a cup set, the, uh, as Lockie has coined it, the cup setometer. Unfortunately, it was pinging at one point towards a potential cup set when, um, when they got one back from the spot. But unfortunately, you know, Brisbane were just too strong in the end. But it was just such a great vibe there on Wednesday night. Uh, no rain until it, it held off right until just after kickoff it, it was just perfect it was a really nice winter's night it wasn't too cold it was a really solid turnout i think i haven't got an exact attendance but there easily would have been at least two to three thousand people there at olympic village um and it was just a really fun night at the football uh you know I, it had goals it had entertainment heidelberg for at least 10 to 15 minutes looked like at least at one stage that they were going to go on and do something from this game, potentially, you know, send it to extra time or even win the game. But uh, from a Brisbane point of view in that game as well, I mean, we saw Charlie Austin uh, play in a competitive game for the first time, Brisbane Raw Colours. And while he may not be, whoa, geez, Joey, you, what, what in God's name happened there? You've just changed cameras midway through. You've got a switcheroo going on right there. Sorry, I just got completely thrown off by that for a second. Um, but anyway, Cinematography off the charts. Yeah. Uh, Ch- Charlie Austin, I mean, for a player, probably isn't still 100% match fit. He had some really nice touches. That little flick to Akbari for the opening goal was just sensational. And he looks like he's going to have, you know, a big impact, at least from, from that small sample size in terms of what he can do when the ball's at his feet. Because that some of those touches and you know, interplays and sort of ordering players around. He's a bit of an extra coach out on the pitch. Um, it looks like it could be a very astute signing. But all in all, Wednesday night was great. Uh, personally, this weekend, I've been so flat out. I haven't actually had a chance to watch any of the other games other than seeing Ibasuki's bicycle kick, which was so well called by Teo Palazzari yesterday. Um, that was brilliant. Like, that was... I didn't even know he had that in his kit bag. So, yeah, I think that was some of the things that definitely stood out. And I, honestly, I can't wait to see what else we've got um, on Tuesday and Wednesday night to round out the uh, round of 32. Has Joey, intrigued me. We like to talk about the Victorian sides in this one. And, you know, as I said, they are doing what they do. They are dominating and uh, advancing through to the uh, round of 16. I mean, disappointing, obviously, with Heidelberg. But that was more of a free hit because, as I said, on the Australia Cup's Twitter spaces... For this uh, Australia Cup only, uh, the Victoria Football Victoria was given an extra slot uh, 
um, in the round of 32. So that was more of a free hit from that one. In any other year, uh, 100% of Victorian sides would have made it through to the round of 16. But also, with a 100% record, though, so far I've noticed, South Australia. Um, obviously, Adelaide United getting the job done uh, over the Newcastle Jets uh, last night. But also, um, we've seen Adelaide City, who... Well, they dominated the game against Logan Lightning, I thought, but just couldn't score. So they ended up eking out um, a bit of a a 1-0 win that was probably a bit more dramatic than they would have liked. Um, And then the Modbury Jets, who um, spend quite a bit for a non-NPL side, particularly a uh, non-NPL side outside of, you know, free-spending New South Wales and Victoria getting the job done and hammering Armadale 5-2. So, South Australia, maybe it's not just Adelaide United. Maybe it's just a South Australian thing to do well in the Cup as well. Well, let's talk about Adelaide, Newcastle. And and what is going on at Newcastle this season? Because, you know, while I think we all uh, rate Arthur Pappas as a coach, I have to say I don't understand their recruitment one iota. Uh, you know, Trent Bahaja and Josh Chaterio bring a lot of pace but I'm not sure in a side that's focused on having a lot of possession uh, and creating against set defences, I'm not quite sure what they add. Uh, Costa Grozos continues to be given opportunity after opportunity, and I'm not sure he's up to a starting role, if I'm honest. And and Brandon O'Neill, to me, doesn't seem like the kind of midfielder that's going to play the sort of high-octane football that Pappas is looking for. I, I, I don't see their recruitment as, as being particularly convincing, um, just on paper anyway. And it, it didn't show, uh, they didn't show me uh, show me up uh, at all in their performance against Adelaide. I mean, I guess on the flip side, you also have to take into account the first time we saw the Newcastle Jets in action last season was in a round of 30, well, around, was it a round of 32? Or was it a play-in game? I think it was a play-in game. Playoff. Actually, against playoff, Western United. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, at Cadinia Park, and they didn't look like anything like the box office jets that we would come to know oh, and I think love. There were green shoes there. I really think there were there they were some there were some moments. Well, in that there, yeah, well, there were hints, and I mean, it was Daniel obvious. Last, hit. Yeah, that, I was about to say Daniel were, Pena's absence. That was a better team yeah. that game against West United as well. I thought, I mean, but still, they weren't they weren't at a hundred percent that we no, came to see no, in that game, and so. I think it, you know, we can't write them off, but at the same time, in my roundabout way, what I was coming out to say is that I sort of agree with you, Josh, in the sense that not a lot of their recruitment has... Well, they haven't recruited the archetype of players, as you said, that one would expect from a team that plays the way that we did. We're not sure, you know, behind the scenes, one can't figure out why that was the case. And there's always the prospect, of course, that this is a team that still doesn't have an owner. Uh, they are at the mercy of receiving their funding from a number of other A-League men's sides, as far as we um, are aware, unless the APL is sitting on a rather major announcement that they just haven't revealed with us all yet. Um, But it's going to be interesting to watch them moving forward. Obviously, we ran the box office Jets meme into the ground last season, but... Yeah, Pena's absence, I think, is going to be a really intriguing one to see just how they fill that void. Obviously, the man shot from anywhere. He never met a look on goal that he didn't like, but he was a really good figure for them as well. And, I mean, it was 
you know, there was a reason Sydney really wanted to try to bring him in, and for a time it looked like they were going to bring him in until his parent club just uh, pulled the rug out from underneath them. So, yeah, I agree, Josh. It's going to be really interesting to watch them moving forward. Just um, one thing, Josh. I think the out of all the signings they've made, I mean, the one signing I personally think is the one that sort of suits, you know, the the overarching, you know, Papa's philosophy is that Renault Piscopo signing, and mm. he didn't play yesterday. Uh, I mean, That's where true. does he start in this team? I mean, we have to assume that they're going to make more signings before the season starts because they're still, you know, two and a half, well, not even two and a half months, but two and a bit months now until the season starts. So you get a feeling that at least in some areas, and I think there are some real gaping holes in that team that they need to sort out, that there will be some signings. Um, because, you know, looking at the team that played Jess, I mean, you could fit Piscopo anywhere across that, sort of that, you know, attacking midfield three. You could play him where Costas Grozos, uh, you know, filled as a 10, or if Thurgate was playing a bit further up and Grozos was playing in that role. Or you could potentially put him out wide where Satirio or Bahaja played. Uh, but to be honest, I think they need more than just Piscopo if they're going to mm. be able to have two players who are going to fit the Pappas philosophy. Um, if the Jets are looking to play more off the break this season and are straying from what was such an attractive style of, of football and look to play a little bit more off the break, Sydney FC light kind of way, then maybe you'd understand, you know, playing Bahadur and Satiri out wide, just looking to bombard the wings with pace. But I don't know. There just wasn't too much to write home about when you look at that starting eleven and think, well... When you think Pappas Ball and you think about personnel, is that are those players the right fit for what Arthur Pappas wants to do? Because now there's even links to, you know, I don't know if it's if there's any concrete links to it, with players like Callum Timmons, who is another ball retaining six. Microwave alert. Somebody's uh, turned on the microwave at Nick Demarno's house. I think, I think we're back. Uh, but what I was saying was Callum Timmons, a, a ball-retaining six, you know, a player who, if they're going to play alongside Brandon O'Neill, we saw from very limited minutes last season at Perth Glory, it's not necessarily, you know, the, the kind of fit that the Jets would be looking for. Uh, so I guess we'll just have to wait and see. I guess we'll see what they do for the remainder of this transfer window. But as Joey mentioned, they are hamstrung. So uh, whatever they can do, I mean, the signing so far barred the Piscopo one, I don't think are the best fit for you know, what the Jets are looking to do when they get on the ball and, and look to break. At the same time, I think we also need to give a bit of the benefit of the doubt to Pappas in the sense that he did actually try to do something different last season. Like, sure. In, in, sure. in a tide of clubs playing reactive on-the-break football and, you know, actively wanting the opposition to have it, um, his side did something different. And, I mean... We enjoyed it, and I think whilst it could be a sense of, you know, you either die a hero or live long enough to see yourself become the villain, look at the transition that MacArthur underwent between Ante Milicic's first season of I want the ball versus his second season of that ball is toxic, please don't give us the ball, we desperately don't want the ball, what are you doing, oh God. Um, But for now... One would ex- look at Pappas, look at his resume, look at what he's trying to tried to do and say, it's silly to write him off or all of that sort of stuff based off one Australia Cup game. No, there's... I, I also I, think they're, they're yet to... If I could just jump in for a sec. Sorry, I think go, they're go. yet to address their biggest weakness, uh, which uh, was central the... Central defence. Yeah, the central defenders. They're still starting Matt Yerman and Jordan Elsie, which is totally incongruent with the style of football they're attempting to play. And the amount of times they gave the ball away just because their central defenders weren't confident enough on it. 
uh, last season. They they shot themselves in the foot so many times. Uh, maybe Mark Natter can come in and play a role. I think he's a little bit more adventurous in possession, but I haven't seen enough of him to uh, really call it one way or another. Uh, but I still think uh, they're yet to address a gaping hole in the centre of defence, and they look to be persisting with two veterans, yes, but two players with skill sets that don't exactly line up with the style of football we assume Arthur Pappas is going to try and roll out again. Although, at least they're starting uh, what, their best goalkeeper, it looks like, from the game <laughs> last night. <laughs> Big Mike. He actually made one fantastic Made a really good save, save Mike Weir, yeah. yeah. Um, Antone is saying Arthur Pappas uh, is silencing the media via microwave, uh, which is a, a canny strategy. Uh, did you want to jump in, Nick? No, I was just going to say, I mean, Joe, I, I, I wouldn't say we're, we're writing off the Jets at all, just in terms of what they've done this offseason hasn't really suggested they're going to be any better. And the signings they've brought in, bar maybe Piscopo and Josh, as you mentioned, maybe someone like Mark Natto might see an opportunity at some point to fill that, you know, gaping hole in the heart of the fence uh there hasn't really been anything to write home about because you know as much as joshua satirio scored a lot of goals last season uh, i think he was wellington's top goal scorer last year he's a player who thrives best when teams don't have the ball as does trent bahaja we've seen trent bahaja you know not just at sydney but the mariners be that same player who like who's very good when the ball is in transition because he's so quick um so yeah that's sort of the, the one takeaway, but we'll see what happens when the season rolls around. They've still got two more months of preseason, two more months to sign players. Uh, curious to see what they're like when they're at full tilt and if they make some more you know upgrades in certain areas. I want to talk a little bit about Adelaide before we move on. Ibasuki got the headlines with his overhead kick, but for me, the story of this game was the first half performance of Zach Clough and how he actually looks a serious player. Um I, I was impressed. He seemed to fade out quite quickly. I'm not sure if the fitness level is there, but he seems. it seems like they have brought in some quality there and he was playing in a more advanced position. I, I liked what I saw from him. I was disappointed that Bernardo didn't start, but um, there's the breaks with Carl Viet, I suppose. And yes, I'm saying Viet this season. I'm fixing that now. Um, and Louis Dorigo, I thought, uh, played really well at the base of midfield as well. Yeah, just a, a small point on Zach Clough. I think one thing to keep in mind, as much as the six months or five months he played towards the end of last season weren't necessarily inspiring, he did come to Adelaide very unfit. So maybe a full preseason under his belt, you know, becoming a bit more accustomed to things down here, settling in a little bit more, getting his body up to scratch. Maybe we'll see him take another step. But I think yesterday there were a lot of positive signs heading in that trajectory, Josh. So hopefully uh, more of the same from Clough as this tournament progresses and going into next season. Happy to move on, gents? Sure. Let's do it. Well, uh, I'll just quickly, we should also mention the other A-League men's side. MacArthur um, kicked the shit out of Magpies, Crusaders. What is it? McKay and Whitsunday's Magpies, Magpies. Crusaders United. Yeah. Best, um, best name and kick- best crest in Australian football. Now For that sure. Oakley Cannons have abandoned the clip art, uh, Magpies <laughs> Crusaders are still waving the flag. For NAF MPL crests. Yeah, but um, obviously, as I said, the Bulls kicked the shit out of them um, in their last game. 6-0 win, never in any danger. Took, took advantage of a horrific error from the goalkeeper in the opening exchanges to take the lead. So, I guess with the Bulls, what, seeing how Dwight York... Well, Dwight York now has his first win um, as a competitive manager. There you go. Dwight York is now one win, one draw, and one defeat 
uh, as a as a footballing manager heading into his first A League men's season. But yeah, not going to take a little while yet before we figure out exactly is he um, a phenom, a savant when it comes to coaching, or what the the Bulls will look like heading into this season with their own rather eclectic mix of recruiting that we have touched on in this show in the past. Well, aside from, I suppose, Mobbury Jets, who, when you look at you know the quality in their squad, probably wasn't such an upset, uh, but are from a low division. Uh, aside from that, the round of 32 virtually went chalk in terms of who you would expect mm. to win all of these games. I mean, the all-A League affairs early in the season are kind of hard to pick. Uh, I think it's worth remarking on Sydney FC today, abandoning the 4 2 column formation and going to a 4-3-3. Uh, do my eyes deceive me? Is Steve Corica growing his hair out and becoming his own man? I mean, you're just trying to attract Evan with that comment. <laughs> I mean, but potentially. I mean, it's good that he's trying something new, but is he doing it out of necessity because they don't have the cattle right now? Because they've got a lot of players that they haven't signed. They've got, you know, a lot of, they've got a very small squad bar the MPL guys that they've brought in. Like, you know, we saw. Jaden Kachowski coming off the bench today and scoring a penalty. Lucas Smith. Uh, we saw Jake uh, Girdwood rake as well as Oscar James. So, and also as well, uh, Segesic getting a start too. So, I mean, this is, was a very young Sydney team, but I wonder if was this done out of necessity? Are we getting too excited just yet, Josh? Because when they do bring everyone in and they do have, you know, a partner for Adam LaFondra up top, Will we see them potentially revert back to two up top? Was this maybe just done because they simply had to? So be curious to see what they do as this, uh, as you know, the off season wears on. Because again, they don't have their full tilts of availability right now, and all the players they probably hope to have had available uh, from the transfer front. Because remember, they've lost a lot and they haven't really gained a lot. I think they've only made one off season signing, and that was um, Caballo, who started at left back today. So it was basically a lot of the same players and. Good to see Max Burgess, by the way, get a start and get a goal too. So, uh, big win for the TNC brand. Well, on, just think- on that topic, we've got a Twitter question from Sky Blue Views. How many points will Max Burgess win the Johnny Warren medal by? Well, I we'll, think that's we'll probably Nick Stoll's that burner yeah. account, actually. When he- I think more important than personnel when it comes to Corica's commitment to the four-three-three if indeed it is the plan going into the season, which has been reported by um, Vince Regari in the Sydney Morning Herald's you know, man on the ground, that that is the plan. And there were some promising signs. Obviously, we saw Burgess. I like what Yazbek did playing in that midfield as well. However, the question for me with Korakou's commitment to the 4-3-3 isn't so much about personnel. What does he do uh, when he gets more bodies in? It's... What does Corica do when the pressure is on? What does Corica do when games aren't like? Because we all, it's well, it's a well-established meme at this point. Whilst you know, we all love the Australia Cup for A League men's sides. It's still pre-season games, and a lot of them treat them as pre-season hitouts. I mean, Sydney FC obviously had, you know, obviously ton of players that they haven't even signed yet today and other teams use it as a bit of a warm-up a bit of a pre-season um minute minute getting exercise rather than competitive fixtures so my question surrounding Corica is that when the pressure is on in regular season a-league men games maybe he's had a couple of losses in a row maybe he's feeling the pressure 
how deep is his actual commitment to the 4-3-3 if that is what we are going to see moving forward because it's all well and good to you know bust it out now and say this is what we're playing and I'm my own man and that when the heat is on when the air is thick will the 4-3-3 survive or does he fall back into the 4-2-2-2 that we have seen in the past because we've seen with Graham Arnold as well, his mentor at the Socceroos level, when he's coming up against high-profile opposition, stronger opposition, and Arnold has himself said that he adjusts his approach based upon the teams that he's facing, he reverts to type with the double pivot and the more defensive outlook. What will we see from Corica when the heat is on, is my question surrounding the formation. Not so much personnel, you know, maybe they'll go out and win every game 6-0, so it never becomes an issue. But that's what I'm going to be looking at going forward, when, especially when the A-League men's season starts. The thing I'm interested in is, you mentioned, Nick, is they haven't made many signings. But I've been critical of Sydney FC for a long time, of having such, a, you know, a seemingly prolific uh, development pipeline and not giving any of these guys a chance. And then they have to go to other clubs, um, you know, think of Cam Devlin or Daniel Arzani as prime examples. Uh, if they're planning on giving the likes of Kacharski more A-League opportunities, then I think that's to be applauded because Sydney FC is usually the first team to uh, look for the big name, big money signing uh, at the expense of minutes for their for their junior players. And I would love to see, you know, their MPL New South Wales side, which has been you know terrific this season, really exciting players in that team. Um, some of those those players actually blooded into the first team because if Jaden Kacharski was playing at the Mariners, he re- he'd already have 25, 30, 40 A-League games under his belt. He's that good. Sure. I mean, the, but can you strike a balance with that? Like have a sprinkling of in of those? Because I still think that knowing Sydney and knowing the, I guess, you know, thinking about who runs the APL and thinking about who runs Sydney FC and thinking about Sydney FC, where they'll want to get back to you can't rule out that they're going to go after a bunch of seasoned vets, or not even vets, but proven sort of, you know, commodities at a decent enough level, whether it's in the A-League or playing overseas to come in. Uh, I think they've still got three foreign spots available as well, even with, you know, Elvis Sober departing. I don't think he took one up anyway, but he's obviously now another one that's left. But I think you can get a balance of that, because as you mentioned, Josh, there is certainly enough talent in that NPL team. But if their goal is to get right back up next season they're probably going to want to get more seasoned vets in and probably try and have that sprinkling of, okay, we've got some good, we've got, you know, some seasoned players, but there's an opportunity for guys like Kachowski and Coates to really put their best foot forward. But we already know they're looking at bringing in four or five more established players. The CEO released a letter during the week to fans in which he said, we've got four or five more signings on the way. We know that, well, they're supposed to be coming and that if they don't come in, it's not because the Sydney... FC head honchos have, you know, suddenly seen the light and decided to start playing the academy. It's because they simply couldn't sign the players that we wanted. They wanted to, as we've already seen this season, with um, you know, the talk of Dries Martins falling over and then our Serbian bloke whose name currently escapes. Lazar Markovic. Lazar Markovic. He's signing falling over. Uh, I don't know. I'm firing my laser. Um, Jesus, that's an old meme. Um. But, yeah, like, we already know the signings are coming, once again. So, like, it now comes back to Karaka. You know, what does he do? Does he play a journeyman over a youngster? Does he, 
you know, does he take the risk? Does he, you know, push the boat out and back a academy player over maybe a veteran that's come in and, you know, they, they'll do a position battle? That's another question because we know they're coming in. And if they don't come in, the narrative shouldn't be reframed to say they're giving the kids a chance when they've been dragged to it kicking and screaming based on their own communications. Josh, turn well, up your microphone. Uh, I, my microphone is quiet, is it? Yes. There you go. Getting- All right. Um, uh, anything more on the Australia Cup? Um, I suppose youth development by um, recruitment incompetence is probably not to be applauded. But uh, anything further on the Australia Cup? I was I was interested by the performance of Austin as that hold-up player. I think it's something that Brisbane haven't had Um Last season, they were just so clearly lacking a focal point. And if he, even if he scores zero goals this season, if he can just hold the ball up and help uh, play in the attacking midfield players and the wingers, I, I think that's that's a win for for Brisbane. That's an improvement. Of course, we hope he scores heaps of goals. But um, uh, I, I was impressed by that dynamic of his his play, especially the way he teed up Akbari for the first. Last little point. I mean, if we're looking ahead to this week, I mean. I mean, all eyes sort of immediately turned to to Wednesday night, Western United versus Melbourne victory at Amy Park. I mean, that's just going to be interesting to keep an eye to see, I guess, you know, what teams get put out. You know, will victory uh, revert back to, you know, a back four, which we could probably assume they will. They're not playing Manchester United. It's a few more weeks for them into preseason. But also Western United because, you know, there's a lot of rumblings around Alexander Prijevic's future. He hasn't reported back for uh, preseason training um, I mean, Alessandro Diamanti is still in Italy at the moment, you know, just living off good vibes at the moment, even though he is contracted. So curious to see, I guess, what Western United team gets put out on Wednesday night as well. But also Melbourne City against Newcastle, because West- Melbourne City were the other team that played last week against Dandenong Thunder in a friendly. Now, I know it's only a friendly, but something really caught my eye, and that was the fact they still shipped two goals with a basically full-strength backline. And we spoke a lot about their defensive frailties last season. And I know it's the first game of preseason, but it didn't... I can't help but the fact that it did... That was the first thing that left off left off the page. They're up 2-0, then they ended up cough, coughing up two goals, ended up winning 3-2 in the end. But it was just something that I was like, ah, interesting. Very, very interesting. Not, not taking anything away from Dandy Thunder, because they've been in some great form recently. But just an interesting little tidbit from Tuesday night. Yeah, I mean, uh, shout out to Arian Suleimani for making his uh, senior team bow against his his junior club. Um, he's been very good in MPL three this season. Unfortunately, he ended up getting injured in the game and then couldn't play in the championship game essentially against Preston, uh, which was unfortunate for him. But um, yeah, hopefully we it's not the last we see of him this season. But yes, uh, City hardly convincing, but first real preseason hit out, so can't read too much into it. Sure. Uh, let's talk about the A League fixtures. Uh, Melbourne City versus Western United. The grand final rematch is first up uh, on the 7th of October. We've also got a big blue uh, on the Saturday night on the 8th of October. Uh, what do we make of this uh, this fixture drop and the, and the big games in the opening rounds? They've got the F3 derby that weekend. It's just packed with, with big fixtures on week one, which personally, I don't like. Uh, I, will, I will get into that in a bit, but... I'll, I'll let you guys let, give your opinions first. I think it was inevitable that we were going to be getting big games front-loaded into this fixture, given that it, it has to break for the World Cup after 
um, round six. So inevitably, the APL were going to want to try to hook some people and get them interested and really uh, whet their appetite for the A-League season to come without you know, before it had to break, because, you know, you're not, they're not going to want to run out a whole bunch of, yeah, let's get fired up, it's Glory versus Newcastle, and City versus Brisbane, these teams tolerate each other, it's not going to get anybody excited. Um, these so, teams straight up don't mind each other. Yes, well, what's the line? Um, the Titans of Melbourne City versus the Giants of the Newcastle Jets, making them both look comparatively normal-sized. <laughs> uh, but uh, So I think it was inevitable that we were going to get um, the big games early on. Obviously, I think we can come back to and swivel back to a conversation surrounding um, the abandonment of the dual kickoff Saturday night primetime games, but... I haven't seen this talked about, and apologies if it has been tweeted out or discussed previously, and I just haven't been paying attention. But when it came out, I went down and looked at round 26, and we're not getting simultaneous kickoffs in the final round of the season. I know that was a big talking point heading into the concluding round of the last season, given that we entered it with Melbourne City, Western United, and Melbourne Victory all potentially winning the Premiership. Well, looking at round 26, we've got City against the Wanderers on the 28th. We've got um, four games on the 29th. And then we've got MacArthur playing Wellington Phoenix on the 30th. Um, And those games on the Saturday, which I'm assuming the 29th of April is, I haven't double-checked that, um, they're all staggered um, throughout the day. So... No simultaneous. It was apparent. It was one of the most requested things, and we were told it just wasn't possible uh, last season because of um, the upheaval wrought by COVID. But now, with the the benefit of supposedly a clear run, we're still not getting simultaneous kickoffs on the final day of the regular season. Uh yeah. I mean, looking at it now, Joey, I didn't personally go look at the final game of this the round of the season. But you know, now that you've brought it, I guess to all our attention, there is. One lot of simultaneous kickoffs at 5 p.m. on the Saturday between Sydney and the Jets and Adelaide versus the Mariners. But I think that is a little bit disappointing that we haven't gotten that. But looking at the fixture from a, I guess, a holistic, you know, point of view, I mean, I've got no real complaints. I think, you know, the fact they've still got, there's like a, it's like a floating simultaneous kickoff. There are some like 5 p.m. simultaneous kickoffs. There are some on a Sunday, which you get, I'm not, I'm not that like, aggrieved by a lot of people are really frustrated by it but you could sort of put it on a dead slot i think the saturday night one um the, the saturday night slot i think is different because you want to get as much eyeballs onto a prime time fixture as possible but if you've got a bit of a dead slot like on a saturday or a sunday i don't think there's any issue in having maybe two games go head to head but um josh i disagree with your point and that you're going to go with that there are a lot of big games in round one i don't mind it at all i actually like that you start with a bit of a bang but you, you start with enough of a bang, but not the entire thing. You blow the bloody doors off, but you don't blow off, blow off the entire car because you've got enough spice without, you know, throwing the, the throwing the kitchen proverbial into round one. We don't have a Melbourne derby and a Sydney derby straight away as well because if they went, you know, Victory City, uh, you know, uh, Sydney versus Western Sydney, F3 derby, whatever else you want to throw in there, then it's looking like, all right, then you're throwing every, you're giving up everything away in the first week. With here... You've got enough games here that I think 
you know, you've got the, the big blue on the Saturday. I think that's a great way to open up the new Allianz Stadium as well. I think you need a big game to get as many people in for that first game back at, you know, Sydney FC's home ground or the, you know, the refurbished, rebuilt home ground. And as well, you know, a grand final rematch for me is the best way to start any season, whether it's in the A-League or any competition. I think it's a great way to kick it off by having the two teams that ended last season because that story writes itself. Melbourne City will want to, you know, get revenge on Western United. Western United will want to, you know, get one up over Melbourne City again. So it's a great way to start the season. And um, I think the other bit I really enjoy is just seeing the fact that we've got Wellington Phoenix not playing TBCs. They've got Sky Stadium next to their name again on their home pitch. But they're playing one game in Wollongong. So they still have to go back to Wollongong. They've like it's, one it's, home a thank you, it's a thank yeah. you game to the people of Wollongong for yeah, hosting them. It's, it's an interesting one. And obviously, I think they've got a few Auckland games as well. So I like that Wellington still spread a few games throughout New Zealand too because some of my fondest memories of watching Wellington, like when they were in around 2014, 15, um, you know, was when they took games like Lower Hutt and they play in those really small grounds, and it would feel and it'd be really tight instead of playing in the big cauldron that is Sky Stadium. They play in these small grounds, get a good turnout, and it looked really cool on TV. So I'd like to see more of that from Wellington. But as a whole, no real complaints to the fixture. I'm sure that once the season starts, someone will complain about something about the fixture. Someone won't like something. Um, the other thing I want to ask you guys, and I haven't actually had a look at this too much, but how I saw something mentioned about potentially some 3 p.m. kickoffs in summer. Is that much of a, um, I guess, uh, uh, well, I guess a feature of this fixture at all? Because I actually haven't gone and looked at, you know, specifically December to February and looked at, okay, on these days, do we have 3 p.m. kickoffs? Because I saw someone mention it. What have you guys seen? There's a few. There are several. Are there like several. a lot? Because there are people saying there's like one. There looks week. to be an average of one in each round. In Dece- the summer months? Yep. In yeah, January. Like, um, right. Round 13's got two. Round 14's got one. This is in the dog days of January. Round 12's got one. And There's a few in February as well. Four. Yeah. There's one one so, a weekend, essentially. Yeah. It, yeah. And I can't... Like, we're going to get games either postponed due to heat or massively affected by heat. It's just a feature of... It's a summer sport in Australia. This it's the um, it is apparently the most uh, economical model for the game to be a summer sport. You know, all that clear air that gets left behind and definitely not filled by cricket and off-season AFL and NRL. Um, it's, it's going to be a feature. It's going to happen. Apparently, well, the decision has been made that it's worth having the three PM kickoffs instead of simultaneous prime time kickoffs. Um and um put my uh put my you know cards on the table as somebody that what you know attempts to watch every single game for work either live or on delay seven p.m. kickoff times you know it's my job so you know I probably wasn't as affected by the seven p.m. kickoff times as much of the general fans um but from what I can tell the seven p.m. kickoffs were. Uh, the dual 7pm kickoffs or whatever they were, were um, quite um, universally derided. The 7.45 kickoffs, what am I talking about? They were universally derided by the fans, so I can see why they were taken out. Um, and obviously now the hope just has to be, well, we do have, as part of the CBA, we do have 
allowances put in place for the postponement of games, one would just have to hope that the APL, as part of their agility lessons and the like from the past couple of seasons, will actually get on the front foot with the forecasts and be proactive in moving games and postponing games if they are needed with sufficient time for fans to make alternative plans, specifically fans travelling. We saw on a few occasions, I remember, a game between Brisbane Roar and Melbourne Victory. That one was postponed morning of, and a number of Victory fans had already flown up. Mm. Like We need to be making sure that we're if there are games being moved because of heat, we're avoiding situations like that, because quite frankly, the A-Leagues don't have enough loyal fans, travelling fans left to alienate. Uh, you mentioned that someone's going to complain about the fixture list. Uh, Nick, let that person be me. Um, three, well, we got two derbies and a grand final rematch the first week, and then the fixture list is completely barren of narrative until round six where we have two more derbies, the uh, Victory Adelaide and Sydney derby. I like to have one real storyline game every weekend, and then you have something to build up to from a media perspective and something to get people excited about. And to shine a spotlight on that fixture. So, given that we've got three in round one and two in round six, couldn't you space that out over the first six rounds and have one big game? We've got a Melbourne Derby in round three, Josh. Okay. Well, still, <laughs> I, I still think it's not spaced out enough. Uh, enough. Apologies, I missed that. But I, I also, like, the scheduling games at 3 p.m. in January and February is just asking for cancellations and postponements. Why are we setting ourselves up to fail? You know, the, the simultaneous kickoffs were only unpopular because they didn't make the most of it from a broadcast perspective. We were promised that we were going to be throwing between games for exciting moments, and that was barely used. We got a tiny bit of picture-in-picture. Picture. You know, the the way the reason it works in the Premier League is because they have a dedicated feed, which is the goal rush, and it jumps around to different games while they have a feature game as a default. Uh, they didn't create that product for for TV properly. It was a, It was a token thing that was, I guess, rolled into all the technical problems that they were having with Paramount Plus and so forth. Um, and I know having simultaneous kickoffs is a strain on broadcast resources, but I, I still think it had massive potential and it just uh, it, just, it just wasn't, um, yeah, it, the execution wasn't right. Um, and I think it could have been a really exciting feature of what you could put to free to air to show what's going on around the grounds. But, um, you know, in some ways we can't win because if we don't want simultaneous 7.45 p.m. kickoffs, and we don't want 3 p.m. kickoffs, and no one wants to go to a game on a, like late on a Sunday night because it's a workday tomorrow. There's no way to put the games. So um, I, I, I think given that we play in the summer, simultaneous kickoffs uh, at night in prime time were the best solution. And from a broadcast perspective, it just wasn't executed properly. And mostly the people complaining about it were the super invested A-League fans that are trying to watch every game or journalists. And that's a tiny subset of the audience that you're actually going for. I didn't care. I was going to watch the games anyway. <laughs> can, yeah. Josh, can I just say, I think the, the way you can do it as well with simultaneous kickoffs is you don't need to start them at the same time either. You can stagger it. Yeah, like exactly. you, you can, you can start say a game at seven and a game at seven forty-five, or a game at eight. If there's a game in Perth or a game in Adelaide, you know, we've got the weirdest time zones here when it reaches summer. Time it so where... you can flick over to the other game exactly. at halftime of the game that you you actually want to be watching. Exactly. Like, then when that, that what game do those ends, weirdos in Queensland do with daylight savings? It's they're they're like, I think they're an hour behind as well from us. Oh, okay. It's weird. So anyways, but you can have... They don't have it, daylight it, savings. As you mentioned, Josh, 
as you mentioned, you can flick over at halftime, but then you can also flick over when your game that you've, you've started to watch, you can flick over at the end. There's a lot of criticisms with the AFL's fixture and how they've got, you know, the, the 110, 320, slot on the Sunday. But it actually sort of flows in pretty well how you can finish the 110 game and go into the 320. Then when the 320's done, you can go into the 440 start because they just... It, I know that there's the 320 starts done to appease the 6pm bulletins, but still... It flows nicely in terms of being able to go from one game to another. So I, I don't think, you know, staggering kickoffs is just a, a concrete sort of, all right, if you're going to, sorry, if you're going to have simultaneous kickoffs, you've got to have them starting exactly the same time. You can stagger them. You can have them overlap in different ways. Um, so, I mean, if we're going to take the route of, okay, we need to think about the heat, then well, maybe look at doing a little bit more of that because we actually have the beauty this year as well of having all the teams based in their home states because we've got, you know, Perth being back in WA, which is a bonus in its own right, that they could start games, I mean, earlier but later here. And Wellington could start games later but earlier here as well. So it, it almost works, you know, in all different sorts of ways. And um, I'm sorry run their memes about the AFL curriculum. It's the first thing that came to mind when you're a Victorian as well who's been covering this, the, the, the sport all season. That's the first thing that comes to mind, all right? So apologies. Apologies, it's, it's just blanket coverage. It lives rent free. We see Sharon's in our sleep. It's yeah, impossible well, to get away from. Well, I was covering it all weekend, so there you go. That that's why. I did have one thing to note. Um, so it breaks on the thirteenth of November, the season, and it returns on the 9th of December with a game between the Brisbane Roar and the Adel- and Adelaide United. The first quarter-final of the World Cup takes place on the 9th of December. APL obviously not too enthusiastic about the Socceroos' chances at the World Cup then, if they are restarting their season at the quarter-finals point. Maybe that can become uh, the newest piece of bulletin board material on uh, Graham Arnold's dressing room. Nobody believes in us, including the APL. Um, I mean, who are starting their league? We're not the making the quarterfinals. We're not making it. Come on! Oh, come, come on. on, Josh! Where's your belief? I come mean, on, if we make the Where's round the of sixteen, DNA? if we make the round of sixteen, you know, I, I will be Graham Arnold's biggest cheerleader. Like, come on, Josh! Come on, mate! Seriously, like we've been match here before. Our best ever finish Stephen, at a World Stephen Cup. Bradbury in two thousand and two at the Salt Lake Winter <laughs> Olympics. All right, did anyone give him a chance at the final turn? No one did. You never know. It's so. coming home. It's coming. All, all I can say is if, if Australia is not making the quarterfinals, so are England. So it'll be fine either way. So I'm all for that. Alrighty. Um, I think that's enough whining about the fixture list for one podcast. Um, uh, although we do have a few comments that have come through. Geraldo uh, says, depends where those 3 p.m. games are to some extent, not just the city, but the stadium and the amount of shade. Yes, definitely. Um uh, Stephen Paletti pointing out the uh, good point about uh, you can't really win if you don't want simultaneous kickoffs. And um, Geraldo also says, could have three straight Saturday night games with 7 p.m. in New South Wales, Victoria, 8 p.m. local in Brisbane, would need to be at Lang Park, and then 8 p.m. local in Perth. Prime time, back-to-back, a little bit of overlap. I love it. Yep. Uh, Geraldo for APL CEO. And Nick Stoll says, if Melbourne's nightlife is so good, stick victory uh, and city games at 10 p.m. <laughs> hey, you know, we might have been locked down, but we're not locked out, baby. So, 
Shall we move if on? If he can to- comment on the stream so often, why isn't he on the pod? That's because he's not wearing a shirt. That's why. That yeah, we stopped we him kept, last we week. Kept that, we kept that for. We made that a Patreon exclusive. Like we have to wait until the watershed uh, before Nick Stoll can show his nipples on the podcast. Uh, let's uh, go to our Liga transfer news. Uh, this is what everybody wants to talk about. Joey, uh, has the embargo lifted on that Western Sydney deal yet? Oh, yes. Western Sydney Wanderers signed Marcello, the Brazilian defender. No, not that one. As I thought of momentarily. Or, or Marcelo, when I saw- if, uh, Marcelo. If, you've been, if you've watched a Real Madrid game in the last decade. He's Mar- not the Mar- former coach of the Italian national team, Joey. Yeah, Mar- 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 Marcello, Mar- Marcello. Marcello. Yeah, anyway, it's not the Real Madrid one. It's the one, um, you know, with PSV and Hanover and uh, Besiktas. He has signed um, for Western Sydney Wanderers on a one-year deal. Seems a decent signing, um, I think. Even though I did get a lot more excited when I thought it was the other bloke. Um, have you uh, seen the best story about uh, former Lyon centre-back Marcelo just yet? About why he was sacked? I think we all know what that story is. Uh, it was the farting. Uh, the farting. It was mid-season dismissal sparked by him farting in the dressing room and laughing about it with his teammates. Wasn't that rubbish, though, and disproven? I don't care. It's still he, funny. He... F- he laughs when he farts. There's so many good chants that you could come up with. I, I'm fully uh, on board with this signing, by the way, um, and not just because of that story, but also uh, because I think he's got a lot of pedigree. Like This guy has a really, really yeah. impressive CV. I think it's a fantastic pickup, even if he isn't the former Real Madrid left-back. Can I just say, the, the funniest part about it, reading uh, Julian Laurent's story, original story on ESPN about it, is that it wasn't just farting and laughing. It was continuous farting and laughing. <laughs> so they were sitting... It's like they were all sitting in the change rooms and they were just sitting there like school children, farting and laughing. And... <laughs> and, and so, we, I mean, okay. we welcome that kind of behaviour in the A-League. So, so he, was, he was doing it in front of the manager, Peter Boz, and sporting director, Janidio, who just found it very inappropriate. And apparently it was during Leo Dubois, who's the captain of Leon's speech, to rally the troops. So imagine <laughs> he's giving this riveting gladiator-like, you know, a Braveheart kind of speech. And then you've got... <laughs> Marcelo in the background fighting. Sorry, <laughs> he goes to show. <laughs> I can't. Sorry, I've lost it. But anyways, the thought of that is is bloody hilarious. But Josh, you mentioned his CV is great. So I mean, he is thirty five mm. now. So curious to see. I guess you know how much you know he's still got in the legs. But um, uh, I'm curious to see how it works out. It could be a really good signing, or it could go the complete opposite. How what the hell go if he farts in Mark Rudin's uh, dressing room this season? I no, never mind. Um, <laughs> but on Western Sydney Wanderers, um, yes. What's uh, which way it, is the um, wind blowing with the Wanderers? <laughs> I actually, I, I'll tell you guys once we're actually off air what I was going to say, but I'm not going to. Uh, um, lost subscribe it. to our Patreon if you want that exclusive that we actually don't have. Western Sydney Wanderers, I mean, bloody hell. Like, it's an entirely new team. I know Tony Popovich, you know, was famous for doing the old clear out. It gen- Like, how many blokes Dubano, have they stop signed stop farting while point? Joey's talking. It's very disrespectful. 
<laughs> we're supposed to be better than this. Um, <laughs> we're not. Just, that's, the, that's the podcast dirty secret. Uh, we shouldn't have done this material in the first hour. Sorry, that's, uh, that's breaking out rule. No, but the Wanderers have absolutely swept a, a broom through their dressing room. And I mean, I am going to be incredibly interested to see how it plays out because traditionally like, you know, we've seen the likes of Sydney FC and in recent times Melbourne City build success of what is the back of continuity. But then again, Western, Western United just... Um, put the broom through the dressing room in the after Mark Rudan left and Aloisi came in and they won a championship last season. So I'm, I am perplexed about what we are going to see from the Western Sydney Wanderers. Of course, earlier this week, they also announced like uh, Brandon Borello has returned um, from Germany to sign with the Western Sydney Wanderers. Looks a fantastic signing on paper. Like looking at the talent, that is in this Western Sydney Wanderers squad, it's very good. However, if you were to ask, make you know, make me do my finals tips and preseason predictions right now, I still probably wouldn't have the Western Sydney Wanderers in the top six purely because at this point they have lot, you know, and you can follow this up when my preseason, uh, when my season preview pieces get published in a few months. Follow me up on this, but. For me, just the Western Sydney Wanderers have lost the benefit of the doubt. It doesn't matter who they sign. They could sign Lionel Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo in the, in the off-season and wheel them out up front. And I would still not, you know, be surprised if they found a way to fuck it up. It's just what the Western Sydney Wanderers do now. So, on paper, like, these signings that the Wanderers are making... Are fantastic, and they should be a strong side. But I've we, how many off seasons now could we have said that about Western Sydney Wanderers? Like, prove me wrong at this point, and I'll be the first one to give credit where it's due when they actually do something. But I feel like I've read this story before with the Wanderers. Mm. Uh, Blake coming through in the comments saying uh, bringing in Marcelo is a surefire way to clear out the dressing room so that's uh, part of their off-season strategy um, very good look, Blake just, just in terms of just uh, <laughs> continuing on Joey's point sorry um, look I mean they've made some they've some very nifty signings and they've got some decent players still hanging around from last year but I mean I'm not going to have any sort of confidence in making a surefire prediction for Western Sydney to play finals until I mean when I actually see them play a few games in the A-League because I mean it could go one of two ways and we've seen that one way which has been you know them not playing finals and disappointing happened way too often but I think that I'd like to be proven wrong. I'd like to see his Western Sydney team do well uh, this season because they have brought in some decent players um, this off-season. But again, I I don't know. I I just can't, I can't get, you know, can't just get excited about them or can't say definitively I'll have them in my top six because I could easily have six teams who I could probably, you know, hedge my bets in. Not say the you know probably not the best terminology there, but you know uh, put faith in to play finals before Western Sydney Wanderers in the A League this season. My um, other... got questions about Aaron uh, Reese Williams. Sorry, um, he's still uh, contract Sydney. He's still under contract as far as we know, and there hasn't I haven't seen a retirement announcement. So I think he'll be there whether he's back or not. We'll see. 
the other thing about all these Western Sydney Wanderers signings, and we pontificated on it at length last season. Like, ha- have any of these signings, like, aside from, like, signing good players and like that, but, like, once again, like, has this off-season revealed, you know, given any, shed any further light on the question of who are the Western Sydney Wanderers? Like, we talk about them as a club. We did it last season, and basically their only sort of identity, as far as we could tell, was literally just geography. Like, but there wasn't any sort of backing to that in terms of, like, they didn't exemplify, you know, on the, um, like on the actual pitch, obviously their marketing department's fantastic and they, you know, did their best work, but like, we never really got to see like, what sort of team is it? Is it a working class team? Does it exemplify the West of Sydney? What are its values? What are its spirit? What ties it to this community? Which should be piss easy for the Wanderers because of exactly where they are. They're on the richest footballing area in the country. Sydney's West and like maybe this is the type of off-season you need to do just bring in a whole bunch of talent start winning things and then it's a lot easier to figure out an identity when you're winning versus the opposite but like I'm genuinely asking you to maybe you can give an insight that I just haven't thought of have we gained any further you know any further idea of what the Western Sydney Wanderers are as an entity this off-season Aside from trolls with their signing of Milos Ninkovic. I mean, they've signed a lot. They just sign a lot of players and expect that these guys are going to carry them to victory. I mean, it's the same story every offseason. Sign, you know, a bunch of seasoned vets. Hand, hand the keys to the coach and hope for the best. And hope for the best. Hit and hope. And expect the same result. Definition of insanity. Nothing's changed. At least from that point of view. If it works this season, great. But it's worked on what, on what attempt? Is this like, what, the sixth attempt, fifth attempt post Popovich? Mm. Like might eventually work, but what happens after? Those are, these are the questions we've constantly been asking about the Western Sydney Wanderers. And I mean, yeah, like 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 I said, it could work. They could win the championship this season. They've got a lot of talent, but yeah, like I wonder if uh, Mark Rodan will be uh, taking them on another military boot camp, like Philip Curto. Oh no, no, was it Philip Curto who, uh, or was the other? Uh, Polish player, the former Polish player, right? Uh, Mikhail oh, the Kup- other one. Mikhail, Mikhail Kupczynski. Yes, that's the one. Uh, um, was, was outlining a couple of weeks ago in uh, in the Polish press about uh, yeah. how Rudan was an absolute madman uh, in their preseason prep. So maybe that'll uh, drill some, uh, well, uh, some I mean, discipline into these lads. We've got a question from Edmund coming how much we rate Mark Rudan as a coach and. You know, I rate his press we'll, conferences. Same. He's love for love a, a love a Redan presser. He's always good for a quote. Yeah. Um, oh look, young boys in the comments making a fart joke. Sod off, Lockie. Um, <laughs> but a, a, as a coach, somebody that works with the X's and O's, you know, from a strategic and tactical basis, I say Mark Rudan is an above-average A-League men coach, based off what we've seen. Maybe one of the better ones. 
just based on the signs that we saw, especially in his one year at the Wellington Phoenix, um, the way he had Western United playing at times during his first season at Western United, like from an X's and O's perspective, works out well. I think he's a decent coach. The question inevitably with Mark Rudan is, you know, the locker room. We saw how it ended with Western United. Now, there's so many factors involved in that. We can't tell, you know, when a team doesn't have to exist for weeks and months on end on the road without an actual proper home stadium to call their own. You know, is that a salvageable situation? We don't know that, but... You know, I think that's I think that's more the question of Mark Rudan. It's not a matter of his abilities as an X's and O's coach. It comes down to you know dynamics in the dressing room and the type of players that he ends up trusting and deploying. Because we even saw at times with the Wanderers last season some of his you know like rolling. He rolled with Petratos a lot. Troisi a lot when they really weren't adding much to the team and I was just wondering why but maybe I'm wrong what do you guys think I mean I think he's an okay coach X's and O's wise I don't think he's spectacular I don't think he's unspectacular I think he's okay I mean but it has a as you mentioned Joey how much does the other stuff outweigh in terms of all the rumoured rifts and everything else that happened at West United how much does that eventually come to the fore um, you know, and how much does that outweigh the X's and O's? Because that stuff is arguably more important because if you can buy into a vision, you've got good relationships with your coaches and your players are on side, you're more than likely going to see some positive results coming as, as, as a result of that. Results are going to skew in a more positive uh, direction. But from what we saw at Wellington, he, got a very, he did a very good job with that team. First season at Western United, sure, really good as well. Second season at Western United, Again, for, for, for half that season, it looked like it was going to work again. But when the wheels fell off, the wheels fell off. And again, I know the, the, the circumstances that Western United had were far from ideal. Any team, as we've seen with a lot of these teams, have had to go on ex- long road trips and play games out of all different venues and travel in a short period of time, play games every three days. It's tough. But there were some decisions, at least from a tactical point of view, I remember in some of those games, which were quite questionable. Like he would deploy players like Andrew Durante in midfield and play five centre-backs, you know, in one team. He'd have very similar sort of tactics towards, I guess, if you want to draw a, a very much more recent example to what some of the decisions that Ante Milicic was making at MacArthur towards the end of his tenure, just some really odd decisions with his personnel. So, I don't know. I think when he's got a full complement and he's working with, you know, in, I guess, a more structured environment where it's seven-day breaks, home and away, none of that sort of chaos, he can be very good at getting his teams out there at the park, but yeah, okay. Like average, I think for me. I, I wouldn't say he's, you know, great and I wouldn't say he's not either. I think he's better than most coaches as well in this A-League competition as well. So put him in around the midway point. Yeah, I, I think you guys have summed up pretty well. Sharp tactical mind, um, divisive personality and, you know, man management. He hasn't agreed with all these players, you know. Clearly... You see the way that John Aloisi came into that Western United dressing room. And yes, he had quite significant resources behind him, but uh, they, they clearly developed a stronger team spirit um, than uh, Redan had in that dressing room the season beforehand. Um, but yeah, I, I think he's, he's a sharp coach tactically and 
Yeah, um, we'll we'll see how he does uh, this season. It, it, as you say, Joey, I don't think you know the, we don't give the Wanderers the benefit of the doubt anymore. In fact, it's the opposite. You doubt them until they prove you wrong. So even with this um, promising squad that they're assembling on paper, and I can't claim to be familiar with all these players, I don't know a thing about Suleiman Kerpich. Um, and will he be, you know, fantastic striker? Will he be Dino Cressinger? Will he be, you know, Pia Vicari? Who knows? Uh, but uh, they have let Jack Rodwell go, and all signs point to MacArthur as being the most likely destination for Jack Rodwell. Dwight York seems to rate him. He included him in the A-League All-Stars, even though, you know, he didn't really have a club at that point. If he lowers his wages is a big thing. Yeah. Uh, MacArthur will have to fit him into the budget and into the cap, but... Um, I, I and, that, and that just goes back to MacArthur, asking MacArthur, like, what exact type of squad are they trying to build? Like, they've signed another team that's signed a lot of people, but a, a general trend isn't quite emerging yet. Even they got an impressive win over McKay, but one one actual announced signing uh, that MacArthur have made this week that I wanted to touch on was one of the most polarising figures in Australian football at this point, Daniel Arzani. Mm. I'm a fan. I'm a fan of the signing. I think, I think we all, to some extent, are on the podcast, but I certainly am... You know, well in the camp of an Arzani truther. I think he's a real talent. I think he's... Obviously, things haven't gone um, well for him. Just flat out, it's not as well. It's just flat out, things went terribly for him when he left the A-League men. But, you know, I think it often gets... Not ignored, but sort of underplayed that the lad's ACL exploded in the very first senior game he went out to play after leaving the A-League men, and that kind of really put him behind the eight ball. But And the I 20 minutes at, before his ACL exploded, he was he blew everybody away. Yeah, like, I look at what Daniel Arzani is capable of, I look at what Daniel Arzani did in the A-League men, and what he was doing in the A-League men before he left, he wasn't just, you know, popping up with a wunderbar goal and you know but you know everybody's like oh my god he's amazing just because he's not like he was running games for melbourne city before he left and what's even more impressive he was running games for melbourne city like you call carl veer the human handbrake josh what does that make warren joyce (laughs) like human anchor it's just, just anchor. Just like we talk about playing multiple well, centre backs, like that what was are those Joyce. Things that uh, fall down in cartoons, you know, the really heavy things. Anvil. He's, I think he's an anvil. <laughs> just, just pick your superlative. That was Warren Joyce's system. Joyce Ball had City fans despairing, and Alzani was managing to excel and flourish and bring this electricity and excitement, working within those parameters. You know, he had Richie Delat up front. A right back. So he was doing all that. I see that. I see what Daniel Arzani did. Uh, to use a more recent example, watching Daniel Arzani at the Olympics, like I was particularly that game against Egypt during that about 15, 20 minute period where it was him and Marco Tilio on the pitch before um, J. Rich Begaloo got thrown uh, up as the number nine by Arnie. The Oli Ruse actually looked 
functional moving forward during that bit. And you like watch Alzani throughout those Olympics, the appearances he had. He was one of the Oli Roo's best players on the pitch, even undercooked and underdone as he was coming into that tournament. So I look at Alzani, if Alzani can get regular minutes, play regularly under Dwight York, under a coach that just lets Daniel Alzani be Daniel Alzani, like... We this happens with all young players, but it especially happens with Daniel Arzani just because his weaknesses are just as pronounced, are pronounced just as much as his strengths. The bloke, from what I, whenever I saw Daniel Arzani, he just couldn't run out ninety minutes. Like he didn't have the ticker, to use one of our terms, and all that sort of stuff. But what I think. You need to do with Arzani just as much with any players. You need to focus on what he can do. What can Daniel Arzani bring my team? He's willing to take a man on. He's willing to take risks. He's willing, you know, he's willing to force the issue and not just wait for the opposition to make a mistake and react. How do I use that in my team? How do I maximize his strengths whilst minimizing his weaknesses? It shouldn't, you know, as much with Daniel Arzani as much as it should be with any young player. Stop, you know, stop trying to make judge a fish on how good it can climb a tree. You know, get the fish to swim and maximize that and don't ask it to climb a tree. That's what I'm thinking with Arzani. So if Arzani can get minutes, I genuinely believe he has the ability to turn his team around. Nick, did you want to jump in yeah. or shall I? Ah, I mean, Joey, you, you summed it up in your soliloquy about Arzani. I mean... He's he's that guy. Like I think that this is a good move for him, and I think it's just key that he gets games and he plays because he hasn't played football much for the past four years, and I think that's the most important part. And if Dwight York can, you know, give him the scope to be Daniel Arzani and be that guy who can essentially win a game off his own boot when he's up and going, it's only going to be a benefit for not only MacArthur but for the Socceroos going forward because yes I am talking Socceroos with Daniel Arzani because when Daniel Arzani is fit and firing he's arguably Australia's most talented player and people seem to forget that people I, I remember seeing some takes of some people thinking that he was already washed if you could be washed at 23 years of age then I, I like honestly like I, 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 I don't know where the people pulling washed from because that's a very 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 big term to throw out at someone who is still in the early stages of his career and has come off, as Joey mentioned, a terrible ACL injury now. Obviously, it's been over three years, but he's never really bounced back from that because he just hasn't played. And now he gets that opportunity to do it. If he comes out this season, he puts together a sensational season. He'll be, I'm, I'm telling you, you guys can remember this. He'll be right back in the mix of that 2023 Asian Cup squad, which certainly I think he could mm. definitely fit in. He could definitely be a bolter. Um, I think the, the World Cup... Might be a, a bridge too soon, even if he put together a month of, you know, incredible, incredible football and, you know, wowed us with these incredible performances week in, week out. But in saying that, you know, the guy is Australia's most talented player right now on natural ability. And if he gets going and he puts together a brilliant season for MacArthur, I think MacArthur are going to have a tough time to, to retain him as much as I think it'd be good for him to stick around for the entirety of his contract. But also, I think the sky's to the limit for him. So, you know, alongside Ulysses Davila, hopefully when Ulysses feels like the right time for him to return to football action and Danny De Silva as well, they've got some decent options in around that, you know, attacking midfield, 
you know, trident uh, in behind, whether it's Anthony Carter or whoever leads the line for MacArthur this season. So I'm actually looking forward to seeing how that works out and how um, Dwight York deploys them. I mean, it's interesting with Arzani about how we almost lost him to Iran. Interesting, Nick Nibano. How would you compare Daniel Arzani's natural talent to Christian Volpato's? <laughs> Can we stop the making hashtag this? clamor? Can we? Can we just? Can we just stop making this thing? I'm just not going to respond. <laughs> do, uh, do you remember the? the uh, do you remember the the uh, story that Iran were going to poach him before the 2018 World Cup? It was uh, actu- sure they actually were actually in contact with him? Uh, speaking of Falpato, uh, there's another <laughs> international tug of war going on uh, involving uh, a certain Toure brother and the nation of Guinea. Uh, do we put much? Much stock in this rumour. All right. Drop in um, the Volpato jokes that we all like to make and actually putting serious hats on when it comes to youngsters choosing where they represent. It's their personal decision. It's where they want to play. Now... Why this could be related? I've seen some pontifications surrounding whether or not getting a uh, Guinea passport helps him um, earn the right to work or get better access to certain European nations. I think it was France, the conversation that I saw. So it could simply be around that. Um, Easier for him to get an overseas gig if he's got that passport. Um, But even if he is going with the intention to represent Guinea fair enough let him do what he wants to do who is the um why is his name suddenly escaping me the lad for um Brisbane Raw that could represent Liberia Cyrus Demi Cyrus Demi you know for about a week we were all panicking that we'd lose Cyrus Demi forever and it was the worst thing that ever happened to Australia this sort like all of this talk surrounding tug of wars and all of that sort of stuff. 99 times out of 100, I think it just, it, it's an extension of the transfer market where we just care about like potential movement and with no thought to actually what comes next. But there's the endorphin rush of hearing about the transfer news and, you know, all of you know that thing. And it just, I think we pay far too much attention to it. Like, is anybody thinking seriously thinking that Moture tomorrow is going to represent the Socceroos? Like- Sorry, John. I'm just distracted by the love chat spam bot we've just got in the YouTube comments. I mean, uh, Nick, I think the question needs to be asked. What link did you click? Did you match with a fake profile <laughs> on Tinder? Is that why we're under cyber attack right now? Again, this is the same response <laughs> I'm going to give when Joey brought up Volpato. I am not going to answer that. <laughs> uh, just all right, no, but but anybody watching the live stream, don't click those links um, in the YouTube YouTube chat. We actually can't delete them because Nick Stoll told us the program that we're using. If we delete comments, it just ruins everything. So we just kind of have to. Every, everybody make comments now to like sort of drown them out or something. Yes, please do. Um, a good question uh, from Antonis. Uh, can Arzani use Photoshop? We have to focus on what he can do. Can <laughs> He designed the match day gra- graphics from the Carter Bulls because it's uh, it's I, dire. I feel I ju- I feel bad for the people working in MacArthur's media department because they're under they're under resourced. They're clearly like, just taking the entire budget and sticking it into the football department, 
And like, yeah, they're, know, they're under resourced, uh, and I don't think the person making these graphics was actually hired to make the graphics. So, like, I feel bad for them. Like, they get dunked on endlessly, and it's like, yeah, I feel bad for them because I, if it's if I'm correct in my thinking, they're massively overworked, almost certainly underpaid, and doing something they weren't that that you know isn't in their skill set. Like, it's funny, but I also feel bad. Yeah, look, I I think it's like a media team of two over there, and you know. I, Shout out to the guys at MacArthur. They, they're working with very little and they're trying to make lemonade from very little amount of lemons. Uh, I know graphic design might not be their thing, but what can you do? If that's the hand you've been dealt, that's the hand you've been dealt. So I don't know. Obviously, they've got to get better. Obviously, hopefully, eventually, they'll be able to get someone on board who might be able to be more proficient in Photoshop. And and I, I think when you look at our the, the weekly images we use to advertise our podcast, we're in a glass house and we should not be throwing stones. In the... Yeah, exactly. We literally do our <laughs> graphics on we do our graphics on Snapchat. Anyone can do them. Use the cut tool and the paste tool, and it and works. Anything in that it, that anything that looks remotely good is uh, thanks to run them memes. So. Uh, Lockie Flanagan coming through saying MacArthur's media department is literally just a Canva Pro subscription. I'm not sure if they shelled out for Pro, to be honest. I think that might be a step too far. Can we stop? Um, but oh, I yeah, let's, let's talk. I want to come back to Azani. Can we stop I, shitting it, on the MacArthur why, media team, Josh? Yes, it, <laughs> let, let's go. Let's go back to Azani. I I think Dwight York strikes me as the kind of guy that's going to let him off the leash. I I don't think let Dwight York's going to have a lot of hard and fast rules or specific tactics. He played for Manchester United. In the '90s, where the team talks consisted of lads, it's Spurs like four-four-two wing play, go out there, roll the ball out, and have fun. Like I, I'm actually excited to see what De Silva um, potentially develop. Although I'm not putting any expectations on him this season for obvious personal reasons. Uh, and Azani can do when you just give them free reign um, and allow them to actually dribble with the ball, which is something that was uh, discouraged by Ante Milicic. Is this going to be like kicking and screaming? You know, they give the ball to the Italians, but it's just going to give the ball to Arzani and just... Give know, the ball hope, to the Iranian. Yeah, and just let let Arzani just cook and just do what he pleases. Dwight York just says, you know, here's the ball, go. Go, son. Everyone move out of the way. Let him take them all on. Uh, just, just, he, he tells him before he subs him on, like Harry Redknapp, with, uh, before Roman Pavlyuchenko scored that hat-trick against Liverpool, I think it was, his, his advice before he subbed him on was just run about a bit. Um, <laughs> and he's got a hat trick, so you know, I don't, I don't think we need to, you know, reinvent the wheel or overthink things. Sometimes just let creative players do they thing. Um, ben Smith saying uh, he clicked on uh, the comment that we told him not to, and it showed a uh, shirtless picture of Stoll. So I think we know who to blame for this spam bob invasion. It's uh, it's it's not Nick DeBarno's Tinder activity. It's Nick Stoll's uh, selfies. This this, um, this these, these Tinder gags need a dime. Like, <laughs> yeah, like I need to, I need to like, inform seriously. the comments. Yeah, the Tinder gags around Nick Nabano really need to end. He's on Hinge now. Make jokes around <laughs> that. You know, you know, the one day, the one day that I come around and say to you guys that I have a partner, you guys, like, and if they go back and listen to these, bring her on the show. Bring her they, on the show. They come, My she, partner's been on the she, show. Frey yeah, is a main well, character she, on she, TNC. She goes back and listens to the podcast. She's gonna think. <laughs> She's going to be like, Nick, what the hell were you doing so long? Like, Jesus Christ. 
you know. So that, just, just please, like, like, let's let's end this Tinder, Hinge, Bumble, whatever. Just end. Over. Right, I'm, not, right. I'm not sure how they could resist your charms. Uh, as we discovered after the grand final, Nick, you who is known by the ladies as a blue tick Nick. Actually, he's, uh, if, as Ben Smith I... has said, he's, uh, he's Nick to Bumble. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Someone roll the oh, mud order. you got to bring this up. <laughs> Samuel, Samuel says she ain't li- listening back to the podcast, bro. <laughs> That's it's true. true. My partner hasn't listened to a single podcast that I have done well, or read it, any of my well, articles. You know what? You know what, Samuel? What if she is a big fan of Australian football and she just loves TNC? Maybe she's a listener. Mm. Maybe that's how. Maybe when I have kids, like, how did you meet your, how did you meet your partner? Well, <laughs> she listened to TNC back in the day and she's slid my DMs. Who knows? It, it, this stuff happens. <laughs> is this a desperate cry for listeners to slide no, into your DMs, Nick? Definitely not. Definitely not. So just, just, just stop, okay? Just, just leave me alone. I've, I've had enough. All right. It's nine o'clock on a Sunday. I'm tired. You're bullying me. I'm over this. <laughs> all right. Well, the, the, let's the move on. The amount of gags I've had to absorb about my accent and this bloke breaks after five minutes of Tinder uh, gags. Piss off. It's been all like right, let's nine months of Tinder gags. Let's move on to. Aussies abroad, uh, which club will be swiping right on Mas Luongo? Um, Aliga in the comments uh, saying his trial at Reading has gone quiet, might not be getting a contract there. Could you see him back on Australian shores? I think that he should stay in Europe and I have a potential destination for him. And Josh, this is very much on brand, but if we're looking at championship clubs who actually need to sign a midfielder and we're actually rumoured to be looking at him, Wigan Athletic. Wigan need a midfielder. They've actually they've got like two fit midfielders at the moment. So they just got promoted. You know what? So he can continue the uh, the historical trend of underappreciated Australian Aussies midfielders at the Latics. Yeah, Josip Skoko, underappreciated Aussie as well. John Filan, the goalkeeper. Uh, Callum Elder burst onto the scene at, at Wigan as well. Chris Hurd as well played for Wigan. Uh, so you know what? Like... If, Maslo- if we can need to sign a midfielder, they should actually go and sign Maslowonga. It wouldn't be a, be- a-, a-, a bad destination for him. But in terms of A-League, look, I reckon if you're an A-League club looking for a midfielder, and there are a lot of A-League clubs you could say they definitely need a midfielder, they should be at least inquiring. I don't see the harm in at least asking. As, as usual, our commenters are fun- funnier than us. Antonis says he's a 10, but he tries to convince you that Balotelli is a 9 on the NRI scale. Uh, <laughs> minus 2. And uh, Taurus pointing out that availability is indeed the best ability, especially uh, in Nick's case. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, dear. No. Looking at the Aussies abroad, though, I mean, it is now the time when the leagues uh, around Europe are commencing their seasons. Exciting town for all. I have to note that... Uh, Mighty Carlisle United uh, getting a win on the opening day of the season, 1-0 over Crawley Town, so which obviously means that we're going up and this is the start of a magnificent four-year four year cycle that ends with us winning the Premier League in 2026. Um, but it also is the time now where we cast our eyes across the continent and the British Isles because Brexit means Brexit. Um, looking at players that we are keeping an eye on this season and I think there's a few obviously well there's 12 of them in the uh, Scottish Premiership 
and um, give me a quick look. Uh, I should have a piece out in ESPN this week uh, looking at the move to Scotland and why it's suddenly become easier to move to Scotland. So keep an eye out for that. But in terms of the Aussies that I will be paying close attention to uh, this uh, season, I think uh, in keeping with the brains, um, Dennis Jonro at Chalouse now playing in the Uber Eats. Australia has an has another representative in the Big Five who I sort of feel like he still flies under the radar. Like you see all these articles coming out about Aussies in Europe and all of that, and he's never in the header images or the banner images and all of that sort of stuff. Despite the fact that he's going to have you know be playing against Lionel Messi in the like this season, so really interested to see how. He goes in the Uber Eats. We've talked on this show for yonks about his underutilization at Socceroos levels. But with a new coach coming in after the World Cup and with him, you know, still being a young lad, interesting to see if he can push on and secure a starting position under the new regime. Um, The other one that I'm quite interested to see, and I did actually have him as a potential bolter for the World Cup squad um, in my depth chart article that I did a few weeks ago um, was Jay Rich Begaloo um, on the books at Accrington Stanley. He started in their 2-2 draw with Charlton um, overnight and really he copped a yellow, but interested to see how he kicks on because... That centre back position, a lot of storylines surrounding the heart of the Socceroos' defence moving forward. So he's been part of the Ollie Roos, started regularly for the Ollie Roos. We know Graham Arnold likes to build that Ollie Roos um, to Socceroos' pipeline. Good physical presence. Yeah, intrigued to see, you know, if he starts playing the house down with Accrington Stanley maybe start sniffing around, certainly potentially positioning himself for the next cycle. Um, I've actually got one player I think we all kind of forgot about that actually scored this morning. Lachlan Brook scored for Crew Alexandra in League Two. Uh, he got a loan, I think, either a loan or a permanent deal there uh, this off-season, and he scored on debut. So, I mean, we saw him last year at Adelaide United, but he actually is on loan from Brentford. So a good start to life for him in League Two. Uh, so that's, I guess, a positive sign from an Aussie abroad who sort of has floated under the radar compared to the uh, the Scottish Twelve and the likes of those playing in, you know, the likes of Jean Rowe and, and the rest who are playing all over the continent. So good to see uh, from Lockie Brook. And just want to clarify one thing. I think I accidentally said that Luongo was linked to a move to Wigan. I saw it in, like, some fantasy article of who Wigan should target. So, please, uh, it's not a permanent link. It's just someone saying Wigan should go get him. <laughs> and uh, it was written by Nick Dubonu. Um If not, it was written by uh, my burner. So, you know, if it wasn't me, it was definitely probably the, the, other, the other. It was, uh, it was Nick Dubumble. Um There are a big four uh, of free agents remaining. Uh, Tom Rogic... Trent Sainsbury, we've already talked about Masalongo, and Ben Halloran, who will soon, we are led to believe, be signing for Adelaide United, uh, coming back from worst career and once again taking up his rightful place in a red jersey. The Marxist professor is back, baby. I'm, I'm looking forward to this. I think Adelaide are going to be interesting this year. 
No, absolutely. Good to see our boy back. Back and playing for Adelaide I, I United. I thought you put it's your just... hand up to, to answer, Nick. No, no, no. I just did <laughs> yeah. like a, you know, the uh, like like a, like a finger wave. Like, you know, like, it's good stuff. So, yeah. Uh, I'm very pleased to see Ben Halloran back on our shores. Uh, good to see the Marxist propaganda filtering through the A-League men. So, it's a big win for the TNC brand. We've had a couple wins this weekend uh, for, the, for the TNC brand, haven't we? Sorry, I got distracted by the comments. Um, it, oh, stole, just please. Just. <laughs> uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll do a proper celebration when the signing of Comrade Halloran is officially announced. We'll get some graphics done up or we'll get some videos teed up or something and we can um, properly uh, celebrate his return from worst career. Um, and yes, you did hear Red. us correctly, Homer Legend. Um <laughs> Uh, should we explain for the new listeners? When he signs. When he signs. Okay. All right. We'll explain that signs. next week. We promise we will explain that joke next week because that is an OG uh, national curriculum joke. You have to be listening for a while to understand the origins of that. Yeah, one. that's from the uh, the Football Nation radio days. That's from pre Nick yes. Dubano, the yeah, national pre, curriculum. Pre, pre, um, that's, uh, that, that's that's PD. If we're using like a sort of. <laughs> Um, Trent Sainsbury is an interesting PDs one. as opposed to PDAs Which Nick Devano wants to do <laughs> I He can't win He can't win I I've or, had or, P, or, P, or PEDs Which is how he got so jacked um, uh, Oh god Is my name, um, is my name Dummy Akulash uh, Josh <laughs> uh, look, don't, A couple of other players far. A couple of other players I um, that are overseas that I'm super intrigued to, well, I probably won't be keeping an eye on, but I'll be talking to people that um, will be keeping an eye on them, are uh, Denny Urich and Anthony Kalik in the uh, High NL playing over there. Um, both uh, linked with um, HNK Gorica. Kalik signed there, Urich on loan. Um, interesting to see how they go. It feels like they've sort of become... A forgotten pairing in a lot of the pontifications surrounding um, the Socceroos. I don't for a second think that they'll force their way into Graham Arnold's team, but, you know, we're talking here about the future and who will be the next Socceroos coach and how will they integrate players and pick players for their squad. One more. Um, I did One. say uh, Trent Sainsbury was a free agent. That's wrong. He signed in Qatar and it's uh, transfer market is, is, is done me. Um, just in terms of one other player, I'm just curious to keep an eye on. This is a bit surprisingly... It's on, but it's also off-brand because usually when there's an Australian with with Australian playing in Italy who has ties to Italy but also has ties to Australia that's playing, apparently the, the immediate norm is for everyone to think that I'm going to say they shouldn't play for Australia and one player to certainly uh, not keep an eye on. But is Alessandro Cercati for Parma this season. Um, playing in City B. So he's certainly someone, uh, I mean, another centre-back to keep an eye on, played a little bit towards the end of last season. Uh, so he's someone I'm certainly going to keep an eye on. And just on a genuine, like, you know, serious point, as much as he said he's going to play for Italy, about Christian Volpato, I'm curious to see where he ends up because there has been a bit of upheaval in Roman's ranks with Paulo Dybala coming in, and he has featured quite a bit off the bench this preseason. So I am curious to see whether he actually gets that loan deal or maybe makes a move he was linked to a move to Sassuolo or elsewhere. So I'd be curious to see whether he stays as sort of a depth piece and tries to force his way in and, and sort of come off the bench or whether he potentially gets that loan deal. So he's one that I'm going to keep an eye on certainly over the next uh, month or so 
because I reckon that uh, if he gets that loan deal and starts playing some regular football, could be very good for his uh, for his stocks and his career going forward. I'm keen to see what happens with Alu Kual this season at Stuttgart. Whether he goes out on loan again, whether uh, he uh, finds some... You know, I don't think he's going to be starting in the Bundesliga by no means, but uh, whether he gets some first-team football at Stuttgart in a, in a bit part role, I think that's going to be really interesting to see in terms of his development. Um, yeah, definitely keeping an eye on him. And Emil Mobile at Cadiz, I think, is a really exciting move for him to potentially be playing regularly in La Liga. Um, yeah, but I, I, Cadiz has a great fan base, a, a great atmosphere at those games. Um, and, you know, they've plastered him all over their social media. They seem to think this is a big signing for them. You know, it's not just a depth player. So I'm, I'm excited about that. No one's listening to me. Everyone's just looking at all the Nick de puns in the comments. I'm trying to think of rebuttals I'm, at the I'm moment. Actually, I'm looking at the uh, scenes emerging from the uh, aftermath of uh, the Central Coast Mariners and Sydney FC Australia Cup round of 32 game, as video tweeted out by the Gat Man, uh, Ray Gat. Um, pyro mm. and men in black hoodies. Looking, well, not looking, but attempting to look hard. Mm. Um, trying to replicate Green Street Hooligans at a Sydney FC Central Coast Mariners round of 32 match. Can I just say one, point, one small point on all this as well? Uh, as well for the stuff we saw on Wednesday. Uh, shout out to Durga Ong. Hope he's feeling okay after what happened on Wednesday night. Uh, we understand, obviously... There was a bit of an altercation with some ultras who tried to steal his banner. We hate to see Australia those sort of scenes. Have ultras. And we you know, be ultras. seeing seeing Durga get attacked um, after the game when he was, you know, you know, looking to get some photos with the players and then seeing it happen. I uh, really hope he's feeling all good. Um, so yeah, just passing on all my best wishes and um, yeah, just we don't like to see those sort of scenes anywhere. And especially, you know, at a local game like that. You know, a lot of young families there as well, and you know, obviously for the Brisbane Raw fans who don't get to see their team every week and having an opportunity to see them in the flesh early in the year and in a setting like a local game where they're, you know, a little bit more close to the action. Disappointing. Sorry. Oh, did my internet just drop out or did Nick's microwave get turned on? No, I think that no, was the it was, uh, uh, it was the spam it. bots. Oh. It was the spam bots taking up all our bandwidth, unfortunately. Oh, God's sakes. <laughs> <laughs> Um, anything further on the overseas Aussies or should we move on to NPL corner national second division uh, where we uh, cast our eyes down the pyramid and uh, talk about the real stuff because I, I know what I want to talk about yeah but, uh, Josh Josh you know you left me you left us a 12 minute voice message on Friday that I still haven't listened to yet so I oh. apologise <laughs> I just want to say congratulations to Preston Lions Josh I know you've had a lot to do with Preston over the journey the last few years, and the scenes on Friday looked great. So, I guess the floor is yours. Tell us about how exciting Friday night was. Yeah, I, I don't think anyone outside of Victoria is super interested in the NPL3 championship race. I understand that, but I, I think it is interesting because Preston is a case study in how an NPL side, uh, a former NSL side, can regain a fan base. It's not as if 
the fan base from from this club has persisted all the way through. They had really lean years. The club nearly went into financial ruin. They had three men and a dog at some of their games down in State League 2. The club was, for all intents and purposes, a dying entity. And now you see a game in Dandenong, which is over an hour's drive from Preston's catchment area, I suppose, uh, being absolutely packed out with... 1,500, 2,000 people all making enormous amounts of noise and just the atmosphere was absolutely electric. And you think, you know, this is the model for what a national second division could be like. It's suburban grounds with packed stadiums and a really strong immediate connection between fans and, and players. They, they really feel part of it. And I, I was just blown away. It was the... It was such a tense game. Melbourne City arguably deserved to win. You know, they had a couple of big chances, big th- saves from Chris Theodorides. Uh, Preston had a one-on-one uh, before halftime as well. But they ended up pinching a goal uh, despite Melbourne City's uh, second-half dominance off, off a set piece, and the place just went absolutely nuts. Uh, the roar when that goal went in uh, was just incredibly exhilarating, and uh, the scenes of celebration after the match were electric. Uh, Preston still have two games to go. Uh, they're a point ahead in the in the championship race, uh, but I think just the visual and uh, the noise, the atmosphere for anyone who tuned in on the stream or was there on Friday night was a sight to behold. And uh, I think it points the last two weeks uh, at Preston. You know the game against Western United as well. Point to just how much potential a national second division could have. Looking further north, we should also make note that in the wake of uh, their 2-0 win over Blacktown City, combined with Manly United uh, failing to put the requisite um, amount of goals past the Rockdale City Suns, uh, Sydney Olympic are the premiers of uh, NPL New South Wales. Um, Obviously, finals campaign still to come. However, once again, another one of these sides that one would imagine would be uh, knocking on the door, hoping to get uh, into the National Second Division, notwithstanding the uh, controversial issues that have happened with their ownership um, in years past and uh, the like and the relationship with Xanthi, and we won't get into that. But uh, the Roy O'Donovan-led... Um, Sydney Olympic making their way, winning the premiership in New South Wales over Manly United. And I think, well, unfortunately, we don't have Teo Pelizzeri on this podcast, but it would be interesting to get his thoughts moving forward. Manly United aren't one of these historical clubs that carries big time uh, NRI from the uh, old NSL, but they seem to get a lot of stuff right, um, you know, based up there in Manly, so there's probably a bit of money going around, so it's a bit easy to make things right, but it would be really interesting, you know, it's it's just really interesting to see this non-traditional side continuously get things right, and wonder what the future could hold for a side like Murray, given that we know their grounds, Cromer Park, has played host to A-League women fixtures in the past, even if it is uh, one of the 
dozens of artificial pitches that dot um, NPL New South Wales, and I think there's an actual rule, isn't there, that it, like got moving forward at A-League men level, at least you're not allowed artificial pitches, but I don't know, Manly United intrigues me. Can I just add a point, if we're going to be talking about premiers, uh, congratulations to Oakley Cannons on winning the bespoke 2021 premiership. Um, as much as they said, we're not going to celebrate it. We're not going to, you know, give it any light. Uh, I love the scenes on Friday night and Saturday morning. Uh, when Talk Knights about not celebrating. Uh, their Melbourne Instagram Knights. story was about yeah. 30 posts long there of everybody was... holding up the trophy. Yeah. They had a guard of honour. Yeah, they had Melbourne Knights gave the guard of honour. They had every player, every staff holding up the plate. Um, they were just loving life. And so... <laughs> Congratulations to Oakley, who um, had it handed to them after uh, Avondale failed to win on Tuesday. So the bespoke Avondale Cup, as it's been colloquially named amongst some corners of MPL Victoria and some corners, I guess, of just football uh, in general down under. But uh, yeah, congratulations to Oakley. But also, if we're talking 2022, Port Melbourne having a, a bit of throwing a bit of a spanner into the works with, uh, you know, making South Melbourne work for it for one more week at least. Um, keeping Oakley's hopes of winning the, the, the 2022 Premiership alive at least until after the Doherty Cup this weekend. Well, where Oakley do play Bentley Greens in that contest on, I believe that's Saturday. So I guess, you know, uh, we'll, we'll wait and see what happens in two weeks' time. Sure, we'll talk about it next week. But um, yeah, just a bit of a, a, some fun scenes coming out of Friday night. Oakley just completely changing their tune once they had the piece of silverware in their hands and, and ready to put it in the cabinet at Jack Edwards Reserve. Another thing just I wanted to quickly point out, it um, NPL South Australia, um, not a league that I profess to follow week in and week out, but my old man is there at the moment going down to watch uh, a lot of NPL South Australia games, being chased by the media managers at Football South Australia for content ideas, I'm sure. Um looks like three-horse race um, for the Premiership over there in South Australia. Adelaide City on top of the league with Campbelltown, Ains, Adelaide, Comets following them. Then you get a bit of a drop-off um, to the Metro Stars. But looks like with two match days remaining, quite a dramatic conclusion to the NPL South Australia um, season coming up, especially when you take into account that Adelaide City will also have at minimum... Australia Cup round of 16 uh, commitments um, to take into account. So super interesting to see what happens on and the... And Campbelltown are on a, Cam- a seven-game winning streak, by the way. Mm. So, I mean, they're, they're in form. So they're going to be coming home with a wet sail, it looks like, in that title race, and they're only a point behind. Um, disappointing for Adelaide City, I guess, to lose Kerr Kerr at this point in the mm. season, who's taken an overseas opportunity. And I was really excited to see him in the Australia Cup uh, and see what all the fuss is about uh, because, you know, he seems to be a serious talent. There's a lot of hype around him, uh, but we won't get to see that, unfortunately. And they're, they're going to miss him come the, come the business end of the season, unfortunately. Um, anything further on National Second Division NPL chat? I made a joke about it. At the top of the show, but I did want to touch on um, the situation that we saw surrounding Sydney FC's NPL side forfeiting 
um, their NPL game this week due to losing players to international duty and uh, Australia Cup commitments. Now, there's been a lot of debate surrounding the presence of A-League youth sides in the National Second Division, um, talk surrounding A-League youth sides in NPL 1s and sort of guaranteeing their positioning in one or the other. And I think, at this point, I think I'm just in the favour of sporting merit. Like, if these youth sides can win their way into a second division or an NPL 1, that's fine. Let them win it there. This... The incident today, I think, is why for me it's their presence in a national second division would be problematic, even though I'm willing to surrender in that argument and realise if they win their way in, they win their way in, good for them, but especially if they couldn't be relegated. Because what Sydney FC's forfeit in NPL New South Wales does now it didn't have any bearing on the race for the premiership or anything like that but what if it did like what if mount druitt needed three points to there's no relegation this year what if mount druitt needed three points to stay up like and they win by forfeit and another team goes down like what happens in that situation it gets back to me to the issue of when we're talking about guaranteeing youth sides places in leagues or parachuting them into various competitions, their priority is never winning. It, like their number one. Sorry, I'll rephrase that. They, of course, they want to win. Their number one. Their number one priority isn't winning. Their number one priority is the A League men's side winning. They would quite, as, as through all of my experiences looking at the youth sides here in Victoria, and you know, obviously with today's example from Sydney, they would always trade in a loss for their youth team in a lower league for a win for their A League men's side, and that I think is problematic when we're talking about trying to open up. Um, what we're talking about is trying to open up the system connect it and that's why i i think this incident you know it's the last day of the season and all of that sort of stuff but it does speak to the issues one of the real practical issues i would see when we're talking about a league youth sides particularly in the national second division but and very much especially even though this is still a matter for debate if the national second division aligns with the A-League men as a summer comp. Mm. Yeah, I mean, 100%. And I, I, that's why I, I don't see any real benefit in putting A-League youth sides in the National Second Division. I just don't see any benefit to it. And I think there's too many complications that arise. I think we've covered this ground before on this program and others. But um, I also don't see why, you know, loan deals can't be in a, a way to get a-League youngsters, first-team football um, in a national second division. Why do they have to stay within the system, you know? So, 
Um, I uh, the uh, comments coming through. Stephen pointing out that Sydney's game had finals implications for Sydney. Uh, in that if they won, they could have snuck into the final series. So it meant there was one less team competing for that final spot. Uh, Stephen saying that in the NPL, uh, Queensland, Raw are in the relegation spot and Logan above them will be going down in uh, in NPL Queensland because of the rules there. So yeah, it, does, it does have, I guess... Um, That's fucked. Butterfly effects and... Um, you know, especially in New South Wales, where they have that rule whereby, for relegation purposes, the results of your uh, under twenty ones side were calculated into it, which basically made A League sides almost immune from relegation, even if this you know senior team was bottom of the league. I just I find all these concessions um, it, it just in, it just further stratifies Australian football in ways that I I, I am uncomfortable with personally. And it feels weird in the sense that so often a lot of people's complaints is about how youth team, like young players, expect things handed to them and they've got no ticker. And then a lot of the say, these same people will turn around and talk about how we have to guarantee youth sides places in the top tier or something like that. No, particip- mean, no participation trophies, but Timmy, you can't possibly be relegated, you know. Yeah, <laughs> I don't get it. For the kids. Anyway, I reckon that just about wraps up tonight's edition of the national curriculum, unless there is anything I've missed or any comments uh, we haven't properly addressed. Uh, although there was one that came through I didn't read out. Edmund saying, are we still holding on to our Dan Hall stock after his red card and uh, yes. nightmare start the campaign today? Yes. Just a, just a blip, that, just a bump. For those that jump off, you know, you got to ride the waves. You know, it's not always smooth sailing. <laughs> Hashtag Dan Hall to the moon. All right, I reckon that just about does it for tonight's episode of the National Curriculum. Thank you to everybody oh, for all of your Josh. comments. Oh, we haven't done Western United Stadium. Oh, oh no! All right, let's yeah. let, let's just let's just roll that out quickly before we go. Um, <laughs> so uh, Matthew Guy and the Victorian Liberals have backed the Western United Stadium. Uh, Joey, what on earth is going on here? Does it have any actual bearing on whether this stadium will be built? And does it, in fact, contravene the idea that this was going to be a privately funded affair, which was a centrepiece of their original bid? All right. Reading... And how many, sta- through- how many sides does this thing have? Most importantly. All right. We'll get to that in a second. But reading through... And I'm going to bring this up again and read it live just to make sure... From what I could tell, the commitment that the Liberals gave Western United um, at this thing, well, first things first, it was a commitment only in the event that they were um, elected. And uh, here's a spoiler for anybody not familiar with Victorian politics, they're not being elected. Um, The polls for them are terrible. Um, the best case scenario, I think best case realistic scenario would be for them shrinking the ALP's majority in, um, uh, Victoria. So yeah, here we go. So it was a commitment in the event that they were elected. Looking at the actual commitment, it reads like they were pretty much committing to fund everything but the stadium. 
so the the bullet points from the um from the uh the press release that they sent out was an indoor arena with up for up to eight thousand seats for basketball, netball, concerts, and cultural events. Um, not a stadium. A multi-level, multi-sports centre with levels for basketball, netball, futsal, combat sports, cricket and tennis. Not a stadium. A swim school. Childcare. Community meeting spaces. Open access outdoor tennis, basketball, netball and futsal courts. And a new stadium which will be constructed within a short walk from the action. So... From what I can actually tell in the announcement, they're pretty much promising to fund everything but the stadium. Now, of course, it might be the event that all of a sudden, pretending that the the Liberals actually will were elected in this election, that all of a sudden makes the stadium viable, and then all of a sudden a lot more private funding suddenly appears, and you know it's sort of them doing everything but building the stadium. But it doesn't appear as though they've actually. Um, committed to building the stadium. However, I don't know... I, as I said, given the odds of the Victorian Liberals actually winning the state election, that announcement, I like, especially... I was, I was confused just about how full-hearted Western United were in backing it like it wasn't just you know a couple of you know executives or that sort of thing like I mean they sent out Aloisi was there players was there a ton of executives were there it was a little odd and I'm just I'm hoping that Western United behind the scenes are, are maintaining cordial relations and talking as well with the ALP given that they are the heavy favourites for the next state election, and the entire idea surrounding going out for public funding, and I know this, you know, Canteen Australia, we've gone out for public funding in the past. You don't want to alienate either side of politics, because it's inevitable that power will shift and one government will replace another one. And you don't want to um, mix the two up. And you don't want to piss one off, at, you know, for down the line. So if all of this stuff is needed to make this stadium precinct viable, one just one would really hope that, you know, either they've got commitments from the ALP that they'll announce similar heading into the election or they're talking about that sort of thing because it could be a bit of an error to, you know, tie oneself to the Liberals massed so enthusiastically as they have done. Can I just add a point about the stadium itself? Now, I saw a lot of people getting their proverbial in a knot because they're going to have a three-sided stadium saying it's a it's a rot, you know, they promised a four-sided stadium, this, that. All I'm saying is just, first of all, plans do change. They can still fit, they're still planning on having 15,000 people in there. And there are a lot of three-sided stadiums with a hill, which is something Western United actually have put in their plans. It did put in their plans, it actually was in a council report back in February. But then also, it was spoken about at length at, the, at a Western United uh, finals luncheon back in May. 
that they were planning on modeling it based off some NFL stadiums and also I think it was San Jose's MLS stadium. I know we would say F the MLS, you know, all that stuff, but that's the plan they were looking at doing. And there are plenty of stadiums. MLS here. does by and large have pretty good stadiums. They have fantastic stadiums. And also, on that note, we have two A League clubs here that play with stadiums. One that has a stadium with two grandstands and two hills, being the Newcastle Jets. We have one team that has one end that has sauce bottles and has <laughs> three grandstands. If it still fits 15,000 stadium, why does every stadium have to be exactly the same? Why does it all have to be a cut and dry rectangular sort of four grandstands, you know, sort of thing? I know it was in the initial design, but if they wanted to change it up and add a hill, they've gone and added a hill. I mean, they haven't built the stadium yet. It's not like they built it and said, oh, we're going to knock down the fourth wall and go, okay, <laughs> here's your hill, guys. We couldn't afford to build that, you know, that fourth side. So here we go. We're going to have a hill and you're going to have a scoreboard. I mean, that's pretty cool. I look at Adelaide Oval over in Adelaide. Everyone always says some of the best part about it is sitting up on the hill and watching the game because it's a different environment. It's different. You can mingle. You can walk around. It's like safe standing, except it's not safe standing. It's You can sit, sit on the hill. You know, it's a nice summer's day. I, I don't see it being that much of a negative when in reality, like, so what? That's the least of Western United's problems if they're implementing a bloody hill as the fourth side of their stadium. I just want to see them actually build it, first of all. And, you know, the biggest stick, question isn't the biggest three or four sides, as yeah, if it's getting biggest, built at all. Yeah, exactly. And the biggest issue is the fact that out of all this, people are making the most fuss about it being how many grandstands there's going to be, when really the biggest issue out of the whole thing was West United said, we have the money to build a stadium. And apparently, well, unless what Joey brought up, that the, the Victorian Liberals actually haven't committed to building the stadium. But if it's in the fine print, they actually, you know, they said, well, we actually need extra funding to build it. That's the, that's the thing. They always needed they always needed funding to build it. It wasn't just about the stadium itself, it's about the precinct, it's about the transport to the precinct because there's no train station there. The train station's a long way away. They always need public infrastructure, roads, you know, it's paddock. So, you know, you're gonna need publicly funded infrastructure around it. It was never gonna be fully privately funded. Um, you know, maybe the actual stadium still will be, but uh everything that surrounds it uh will need government approval and planning approval. Uh, and that's what they've struggled with with the Victorian Labor. So hopefully this is a way, as you say, Joey, to leverage a, a match commitment from Victorian Labor. Otherwise, I don't see this doing but, a whole lot of good. But also, yeah. uh, sorry, Joey, just, just one small thing. Western United or the Western Melbourne group said they were going to build a whole goddamn freaking city out there. Like, this is one thing. That costs a lot of goddamn money to build an entire city. Like they wanted to build, as Joey said, you rattle it all off. They literally want to build schools and childcare centers and other, you know, sporting venues. And then they want to build a shopping center and a train station and extending a railway out to Tarnit as well. That costs a lot of goddamn freaking money. So, you know what? Focus on the stadium stuff. The fact that they said we could build a stadium. There's been no dirt built up yet or you know, dug up yet. The fact that, well, we're going to have a hill instead of a fourth grandstand. whoop the freaking do if they have a hill on the stand. I bet you people will get it. And they'll love it, and they'll say, oh, how great is having a hill on a nice summer's day. So, oh, it just does my head in. I mean, honestly, in today's kind of meta-humor culture, I, I think breaking the fourth wall is actually should be viewed as a positive. So, <sighs> Glass shatters. Hey, there we go. Wrestling reference. I, well, uh, I've forgotten what I was going to say. That joke was that. Sorry. Sorry, Joey. <laughs> sorry, Joey. Yes, no. Um, um, I, I bet I you're just, wondering how we ended up here at the two-hour mark. 
Western United's problem has always been stadium. It's a lodestone around their neck. It will continue to be there until they get the damn thing built. Um, yeah, the quibbles over stadium, like how many sides does the stadium has? Yeah, I see the pitches going around. They promise a four-sided stadium. I don't think they did promise like those renders that are going around. Those were always just pretty little renders in press releases designed to build hype. And I never saw anything official anywhere saying these renders were the actual plans. I think that's just um, a bit of the Bernstein Bears thing going on. And in Chinese whispers, it's just sort of become those, even though that was never official. But yeah, the entire thing is a joke. Like, a penny for Team Eleven's thoughts that were denied because of their reliance on government funding. Um, well, I guess I, you, I can't provide a penny because there's nobody left at Team Eleven in the wake of Matt Winley announcing that he's departing his role from Team Eleven in South East Melbourne. So, yeah, it's just, it's a joke. Like, at this point, this entire thing. And it's a joke that we're all locked in and living until something changes like build just build the stadium like the entire like western done some good western they've won a championship they're doing really great stuff with the women's program but there's always a but whenever mm. we say this because it's just become so embedded into their identity and it's not unfair to bring it up like no because they said it was shovel unfair. ready yeah and they like, dug their own grave with that shovel season three yeah. they said it'd be ready and we're now into season four and like and it hasn't started they yet. keep saying and even if those timelines were realist unreal sorry even if those timelines were unrealistic they keep saying the stadium is coming so Can like I... it's sorry, got go on, to Joe. come like it's not unfair Yes, you know, you have to operate in good faith and, you know, when you're writing about them, like something the A-League women's side does, you don't need to chop like, at at the end of every sentence, but they also don't have a stadium. But at the same time, it's not unfair to, when they champion progress and commitments like this, to bring it back to the main issue. And, oh my God, he's been summoned. Um, Let's it's just, not just leave him. Just leave him for a second. No, we, he. It's from France. I, I, I see London. I see France. I, is Nick Stoll in his underpants? No, he's in his I, shirt. First of all, you. I am live from Frankfurt. Uh, so oh, Frankfurt. that's not. I France. just saw live it's from R F A R F R A in your name and assumed. The local newspaper. <laughs> Reporting on football, it says, Poppin, England. I don't know what that oh, means. Yeah, it's but probably the Euros final tonight. Women's Euros. It's the Euros so. final. Women's Euros final. Uh, how are you guys? We're great. We're good. We're, We're going great. two hours and two minutes and then yeah, you jumped in. Yeah, I know. And then you decide to drop in all these uh, apostrophe puns about my last name and there's some kids screaming in the background. Uh, Jesus, it's this very is good. loud. This is, this is good podcasting. Can, can I just, just make a quick Yeah, you're not recording on Audacity, are you, Nick Stoll? You're ruining it. Yeah, you've <laughs> ruined our entire you know thing now because now we have to use the, the audio from this. Um, just a quick point in regards to the West United stuff. Is the stadium, you know, you said like the stadium's coming. Is the stadium 
code for like winter is coming? Like, have they taken, you know, um, inspiration from George R. R. Martin and all the the a Song of Ice and Fire and Game of Thrones creators said, you know, winter is coming, and then they're like, the stadium is like the White <laughs> Hold Walkers. On, is Nick stole being arrested. <laughs> a live arrest. He had to on... hand over his papers. Are you being arrested? <laughs> Even worse, Freya just took my credit card to go shopping. <laughs> You've been mugged. Yeah, mugged. She goes, are you doing the podcast now? Are you serious? All right, give me a card. Just went off. So, you know. Just, just a, as, as I was finished that point, is the stadium like the White Walkers and that we'll see teasers of this stadium and then at the end of like season, someone will make a trek out to beyond Tarnit, which is like the wall. And they will have this altercation with the stadium, people building the stadium. And then they'll realize, oh my God, the stadium's coming. The stadium's coming. Eventually we see some foundation in the season seven and then season eight rolls around and the stadium just never happens. It's just a disappointing end. And it turns out they were never the problem all along. No, what Western United will do, it'd be like the Tinder Swindler. They'll go find another league and they'll be like, we promise we're going to buy it. We're going to bring you a stadium. We just need a couple of years. We've got, look, we've spoken to the opposition leader. Uh, they're going to help fund it as long as they get in. Just please, if you want to support us, you know, we've got a lot of enemies, got a lot of haters out there. Please just send through some cash. Just keep us afloat until we build this beautiful stadium. That's what I think is that. So basically, they've sold uh, stadiums to Brockway, Ogdenville, and North Haverbrook, and <laughs> damn well put them on the map. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Look, I mean, it's it's weird, right? Because you know, you want to say like, oh, Western United, they are doing a lot of good things, but they'll always be judged on this stadium. Always, until this stadium is built. They're a failure of a club until that's because of, of the promise. Stephen asking, uh, are you showing us a newspaper as proof of life? Are, you, are your captors treating you well, Nick? No, look, what I, what I was trying to do is I was trying to do that. You know how um, James Richardson used to do it uh, for, from Italy <laughs> and be like, the paper review. Uh, but he spoke Italian. I don't speak any German. But uh, there you go. There's a woman celebrating. Poppin Vier England. England. I don't know. Someone Google what that means. It means one World Cup and two World Wars. Do da, do da. All right. We are past the contractually obliged two hour mark, and Nick Stoll's audio is terrible. Uh, So we will sign off from Melbourne and from Frankfurt. This has been the national curriculum. Nick, are you back in full next week, Nick? Give the fans something to look forward to. Yeah, I'm back in full, and I've got a lot of. I've, I've been doing a lot of research here in Europe, and I've got a lot of things to say. All right. Oh. And I'll be wearing a shirt next week because it's cold in Australia, <laughs> and I might be too depressed. All right. Thank you, Nick Stoll. Thank you, Joey Lynch. Thank you, Nick Defamation. And we will bid you good night.